Hello, I'm Noel Lim on ASEAN Speaks by Maybank Investment Banking Group. The Russia-Ukraine war is a wake-up call for energy security. It is recognised that we need to diversify our energy sources and rely less on fossil fuel. Renewable energy is the way forward and of course for its environmental benefits. In a series of conversations, I look into Malaysia's own renewable energy roadmap that aims to boost its contribution from 23% or 8.45 gigawatts of the total energy mix to 31% in 2025 and 40% in 2035. Is this sufficient when Malaysia wants to achieve net zero by 2050? In particular, I will explore how the solar industry as we know it is set to change dramatically. Maybank analyst No Farah Shifa highlights the key points of the renewable energy roadmap that investors need to pay attention to. The three strategic energy pillars for the RE growth will be mainly from solar, uh, bioenergy and hydro. Basically, the roadmap explains more details on how the government is going to implement to achieve the target through existing programs like net energy metering and large-scale solar, as well as uh, new schemes like corporate PPAs, uh, third-party access, uh, peer-to-peer trading and monetization of uh, RE certificates uh, post-2025. Can you tell us more about this and what does it mean for the market and market players? So in the long run, uh, Malaysia is expected to move towards where customers have preference to select their own power sources compared to current system of direct procurement from Tenaga National. These key actions are largely expected to only come through post-2025. Corporate PPAs involve a developer selling power for its RE generation plan to other corporate premises. Meanwhile, uh, peer-to-peer energy trading is a trading mechanism between consumers that produce their own electricity through, uh, example, rooftop solar uh, and and other consumers. So the government is currently developing such a framework uh, defining third-party access rules and willing charges uh, for grid use to enable this. Peer-to-peer energy trading, for example, so I could sell electricity to you? Uh, yes, yes. So if you have uh, a rooftop solar, then you can sell to your neighbour. Where can you currently trade these renewable energy certificates? Are there existing marketplaces that we could refer to? So in Malaysia, uh, renewable energy certificates is based on voluntary basis. Malaysia is currently adopting a trading platforms such as uh, Malaysia Green Attribute Tracking System operated by Tenaga National. At the moment, this is still at the initial stage. Strategies as a start is by encouraging all uh, renewable assets, including large hydro assets, uh, in generating RE certificates to initiate its market liquidity. I now turn to Ko Chuan Zen, Group CEO and co-founder of Plus X Energy, a pioneering clean energy solutions provider in Malaysia, mainly focusing on solar at the moment. The company is not listed yet. I was a university student uh, in 14 years back and my final project, I built a solar power car ventilation system and I went to Taiwan for internship and, and that's a place uh, in 2007 as where I found renewable energy, solar. So that is where the seed had planted and after that, actually before I started the business, I joined a Japanese and also Germany solar company to become their employees and then I do everything for them from sales marketing, business development, uh, engineering design, project management, and so on. And I uh, built solar power plant across about 12 over country, 20 over city. So those are about like four years time which I discovered my interest and developed my own skill. And end of 2011, 
government is going to launch this uh, SEDA, the FIT program. And I talked to two of my best friends. One is my uni friend, uh, Po Ting Hui. Another one is my high school friend, which is Ryan Oh. That's where we all say, uh, why not? Let's do this together because three is always better than one. Yeah, that's how we all kickstart our business in about 10 years ago as we just celebrate our 10th anniversary. Malaysia's Renewable Energy Roadmap from 2022 to 2035 aims for solar PV to contribute 5% of the new capacity target in 2025, up from 1.8% in 2020. Is this good enough or perhaps too aggressive taking into account the quality of our grid and reliability of supply? I don't think this is enough, same as a lot of others, uh, renewable energy industrial player in the country in Malaysia as well. Uh, this number actually is relatively uh, quite conservative. Because in most of the country, if you look into this solar deployment, it would at least like about 10 to 15%. Especially if you look into Malaysia, right? We have a couple of those natural resources, but if you look into the natural resources, which is able to convert it into renewable energy, actually solar is the one. It's, it's the most accessible one. It's also the highest success uh, in terms of a past track record, in terms of a project uh, feasibility to more people, commercial industrial building as well as power plant. If you look into biomass, biogas, or these uh, mini hydro in the country, yeah, it is not too mature if let's say talk about the biomass. Biogas is there is, but in terms of a scale, actually it's not a big. Yeah, hydro power plant definitely is huge, but it is not accessible to most people out there if compared with solar. So definitely if you look into the whole things, yeah, we are close at the equator and the sun is all free. And then we are the world's largest solar panel manufacturer. And this is all the reason that we should not just limit ourselves with, uh, I mean, less than 5%, but we should go for maybe 10 to 15%. What about virtual net metering program? Any thoughts about that? I think this is what the plan, what they want to implement. Yeah, this is something it will be super encouraging because if we look into NEM, the concept, right, is this is my building and I have this big of my roof. I will install solar panel on top of my roof and I will consume it directly from a solar panel which power up, which generating power from my roof. So from a virtual net energy metering program, it will be something like the off-site, uh, the solar system, which you can find a piece of land, let's say at Kedah. Yeah, let's say uh, for me, I'm a company which is committed to RE100, re renewable energy 100. So a lot of foreign companies, especially from Europe, from US, they are committed to this uh, renewable energy goal, which means 100% of their energy source must come from re renewable energy. However, they are, probably they need to go for like 50 megawatt. However, their roof, maybe it's only maximum able to up to 1 megawatt. So if they go for this, uh, the normal NEM, it might not really able to help them to achieve, let's say, 100% uh, of renewable energy. So virtual net uh, metering, it will be something really good that I'm able to find another site, let's say, police. It's kind of off-site, and I can build a 50 megawatt out there. And then just through the billing and the TMB as a whole, this a platform provider, then I'm able to offset my energy bill through another solar power plant, not on my roof, but on the other side, but it's all within the TMB system. This uh, virtual net metering program actually has already happened in some of the country, but not Malaysia yet. Uh, but we strongly believe that in order to move towards to our this uh, common goal of 2050 carbon neutral, virtual net metering program, it will be able to unlock a lot of limitation that what we are facing right now, the physical limitation is what we are facing right now under the NEM program. This will create another new horizon for most of the uh, uh, businesses owners who are really committed to achieve their carbon emissions goal. 
Right now, your business model taps on this energy trilogy, generation, efficiency, and storage. So how do you foresee your business model will evolve under this new renewable energy roadmap? Obviously, this plan is going to create more opportunities for your business. Battery storage, definitely, it will be the game changer uh, in, uh, in the future. As a lot of countries right now already have adopted uh, battery storage, but not really in Malaysia yet, due to our energy bill, it's still pretty low. But what we see, this will be the future for us to really complete the whole energy operation from generation to efficiency to storage. And this is something that how we build the whole ecosystem. What about trading of renewable energy certificates? Do you foresee this is uh, one side of the business you may get more involved in instead of just doing the nitty-gritty of generation, efficiency tracking and storage? I would say this would be a very interesting place that we would like to explore what we have is uh, we have a lot of this necessary building which block the facility to the sort of like the renewable energy uh, uh, credit uh, trading activities such as our homegrown energy performance management platform, the AI IoT technology platform, which serve a foundation for tracking energy data that it will able to translate all the carbon emissions, the CO2 uh, reduction into renewable energy credit. And on the other hand, we're also able to uh, help to, let's say, uh, to work with the third party and also the trading platform, help them to really uh, recognize this and also to see how we can trade on it. Is Plus X Energy ready to be listed? Yeah, I would say uh, in the past few years, actually, we have a pretty good track record on that. Always manage a lot of our corporate structures to make ourselves ready. But the main thing right now that we see a lot of great opportunity in this few years is we, we reinvest a lot of our these, uh, capital back to our business that, for example, like in the last year, actually we reinvest in a lot of new different business models for us to really capture the whole energy market with our ecosystem. For example, we are the first one who launched the rent-to-own uh, solar system into a residential market, which we make solar really affordable for people, uh, which is just a few hundred ringgit a month, which they pay us for five years, and then they are able to own the solar system after uh, that which from 6 years to uh, 25 years, you are able to enjoy free energy. And then we invest on our AI-IoT energy management platform, which uh, no other solar company, which they really invest and also develop their own software. As well as uh, this uh, PPA, which is a corporate PPA uh, business, which we also have uh, started and also invested in one of the asset company, which we uh, have having this uh, the JV with uh, uh, instant holding, oil and gas, and also the renewable energy Malaysia listed company. Uh, that we call invest in the loft this rooftop corporate PPA model. So this is some of those uh, new business models that we have uh, created. So I would say those are something that we are pretty excited because we are not listed. So we have all this flexibility to really evolve and also to really transform our business model beyond EPC. Do you foresee there will be a REIT, a real estate investment trust uh, based on solar PV estates or solar farms? Yeah, maybe, maybe. Yeah, I would say uh, the South Asian or Malaysian are quite creative. So there's some, of, some, some of this idea is something that I heard before as well. So I would say in the past few years, until especially the COVID period, the pandemic period until right now, actually we are very focused on the business fundamental, especially we are extending a lot of our business revenue income beyond just the EPC work. Because those would be the places for us to generate recurring income.
I go back to Maybank's analyst Nofara Shifa on her stock recommendations in the renewable energy space. Shifa, you have a buy call on both Saipark and Solarvest. Now, Saipark's PE is 6 to 7 times, while Solarvest is at 30 times. Solarvest is the newer kid on the block, operating at a lower base, but um, growing fast and catching up. How is this high PE for Solarvest justified in the near term? So the high PE for SolarVest in our view is due to its uh, low base uh, and from expectation of higher earnings growth rate in the next uh, two to three years. Uh, at the moment, regional peers are trading at about 16 times. We believe Saipak uh, is trading at a lower PE due to its rapid expansion in asset ownership of RE, which has weakened its financials. However, we expect this to improve upon commencement of LSS2, LSS3 and waste to energy in second half of FY22. For SolarVest, its order book is already at a high level, highest level at 760 million, hence uh, reflected into its earnings in the next one to two years. SolarVest is in a net cash position. Do you expect it will gear up to achieve a more optimal capital structure? And what gearing level could we expect? SolarVest owns 1 megawatt of solar and expect to increase its ownership by another 50 megawatt by end 2023. It had recently released its cumulative target of 2 gigawatt of EPCC and asset ownership in the next five years, where we believe its asset ownership will also lead SolarVest to gear up on that. should be uh, still below 50%. I continue the conversation with Davis Chong, Group CEO and Executive Director of SolarVest on his plans and his expectations of the impacts of the Russia-Ukraine war and China lockdown. Most of the raw material uh, making the solar cell is coming from China. I would say that COVID impact is rather big, bigger than the Russia-Ukraine issues. The silicon price and uh, some of the commodity metal price has been increasing in the past and I thought that it should coming down or settle down in a more stable way. We have a good trend in, uh, in the last two quarters. The price has gone down uh, for the first time since two years. But then the Russian-Ukraine problem, uh, the oil problem, then I think uh, this quarter is it, stagnant there and I, I'm, I'm, I'm quite afraid that it will go up in the next quarter. So how big is the potential impact of lockdowns in Shanghai? It will have the impact chain later. As far as we know, the factories are working. The factory has no problem with those shipments. They are in the productions. This is not the first time they have handled this before during the COVID. So, so far, we didn't hear anything spectacular. Like, you know, it really took on into crisis at the moment. As a backup, would you source solar PV panels from Malaysia? That will more relate to the US issue to probe on Malaysia supply and to put certain taxes that will eventually make us to have cheaper Malaysia panels uh, because they can't sell it in US or Europe, then it will actually sell back to local consumptions. I heard that they are looking into put the anti-dumping tax into Malaysia, China brand panels <laughs> because they, they claim that they also source uh, raw materials and that is a related supply chain from China. So they should get the uh, tax as well. Uh, something of this, uh, th this thing come after the Russian-Ukraine <laughs> issue. If you ask me personally, I don't think that this is this is kind of a trade war, uh, no, the alliance issue. 
So due to climate change and the continuous battle for energy sources, it seems like we need to take more drastic action to reduce dependence on fossil fuel. But what is the downside of expanding our renewable energy, especially in solar, too quickly? We could, but I think that's the policies. It's a three-angle, uh, the, the energy trilemma that we are measuring. You know, we want to get to there. We want to know what is the affordability to get there. We want to measure about what is the security risk that we have to increase uh, the, the different source of energy. We always quote an example, we don't want to have problem like Vietnam. We have, you're going to shut down the renewable energy plant uh, to, because there are too many of uh, renewable energy plant connected to the grid, the grid's not ready. And then you don't want to shut down the nuclear plant or coal plant like Taiwan. Then you have energy crisis and just don't have good enough speed renewable energy plant to catch up with the energy demand. So like, like Taiwan, they live in, a, I would say, like a very little or no uh, reserve margin. So anytime they need more uh, energy in the grid, then that, that will become a problem. So we always take this as a case study to the Ministry of Government and they think uh, they come up with the MyRAR and also JPEG report that this is the capacity that we feel from the study that it, they feel that it's, it's very comfortable to grow with. Of course, uh, being an industry stakeholders, we always hope that we can go faster, we can go bigger. Government policy, tax uh, incentive on uh, storage, it's just uh, the affordability, the question about it, whether the cost of improving the grid, the cost of cutting down coal power plant capacity, who's going to pay for that? Cost of adding uh, storage into renewable energy plant, and you're going to get a higher LCOE, uh, is, the, is the market, is the consumer going to pay for that storage? That will make our grid to, to be more balanced and uh, we'll be able to inject more intermittent power like solar. SolarVest has a five-year plan covering three pillars. The third pillar is to venture into opportunities highlighted in Malaysia's Renewable Energy Roadmap. What caught my eye is your interest in green hydrogen. So this is also about storage, right? How does green hydrogen fit into solar versus overall strategy given that its latent expertise is in solar? I think uh, storage battery technology, it has its limitations in terms of the technology. Hydrogen fuel cell uh, is next. We're going to replace all here. We're going to go into this storage technology. The reason that we start to focus on this because in the past, we are not a technology company. We hope that five years later, 10 years later, SolarWest will be one of the technology company that owns certain technology in battery storage, in hydrogen fuel cell technology, that we can produce our own IP of uh, technology. Green hydrogen can be used as a feedstock for the chemical industry. It's not only in uh, the current uh, energy, how we consume the energy. There is also a fundamental building block for to manufacture ammonia to fertilizer or more than half of all hydrogen produced around the world is consumed by ammonia plants. So green hydrogen provide opportunity to produce carbon-free ammonia. It's always go back to carbon-free. South Korea, for example, the government is throwing money at green hydrogen. India too. How will you position SolarVest? I don't think that Malaysia is a front-runner for utility storage. <laughs> So we decided that we will we'll probably try in another country to really tackle this project, to run a pilot projects first. 
And then slowly we know that how we're going to capture the uh, value chain in the hydrogen fuel cell. Right, so the project may not be in Malaysia, but in other parts of the country where you have the engineering talent, for example. Yeah, it may not, but we are actually starting to talk with some local players. Of course, uh, we always want to start things in Malaysia, if we're able to. With green hydrogen, um, SolarVest can export renewable energy in the form of fuel cells to other countries without needing to wait for a cross-regional ASEAN grid to be established. I'm a believer in renewable energy transportations, which in the future, the small, expensive country, they're not able to produce cheap enough renewable energy that they can buy renewable energy from a big country like China, like Australia, Kazakhstan, India, uh, to buy cheap LCOERE and then ship it with uh, fuel cell when the fuel cell technology is, is able to be commercialized. Regional energy connectivity is one way to tackle climate change and increase energy security. In ASEAN, countries like Laos that are able to produce excess electricity, especially from renewable sources, can generate economic benefits by exporting to countries such as Singapore that need to boost their renewable energy mix. The concept of an integrated ASEAN power grid system that could link Indochina, Thailand, Malaysia and Singapore has been conceived. At this point, there is an existing pilot grid linking Malaysia and Singapore. Dr. Philip Andrew Speed, a senior principal fellow at the Energy Studies Institute of the National University of Singapore, discusses the importance of having this ASEAN power grid. First is what we might call energy security, and that's energy security in the short term and the long term. In the short term, so that if a country or part of a country has a sudden power crisis, if you are linked to your neighbor, you can bring in electricity from your neighbor or further afield. And then you can have seasonal variations. So you may have uh, particularly hydro can be seasonally hydroelectricity can be seasonally dependent. So you may be bringing in clean hydro at some time of year, but another time of year, you may not have that available. So seasonal issues can also be very important. So that's about energy security. It's also, again, picking up on the hydro and renewable story. You can move renewable energy from one country to another. So, for example, for Singapore, uh, that has very little opportunity for building renewable energy because of land space and resources, it means Singapore can import renewable energy, as can other countries who, for whatever reason, have less renewable energy. And this will then help them on their low carbon energy transition. Finally, there's a sort of economic efficiency because ideally every country should be wanting to draw on the least cost source of energy. And that may not necessarily or always be in your country. So you can draw cheaper energy from somewhere else maybe. And also countries can save on constructing new plants. Okay, because not every country has to have a vast surplus of generating capacity just in case the lights go out. So the more you spend on transmission, the less you have to spend on generation. The idea for an ASEAN power grid is not new. Can you give us some colour on how this grid will be formed and why is the progress so slow? I think, yes, you're right. It's at least 20 years old. And uh, most of the lines have been built on what we call a bilateral basis. 
um, particularly, say, from Laos to Thailand, where Thailand utility wants energy of any type, electricity of any type, and Laos is building hydro dams. And so Thailand's utility will have an agreement with Laos utility to buy electricity there. So these lines are tied with what we call power purchase agreements on a bilateral basis. Okay, And that's how most of the lines have been built. But that means you need someone to pay. And the problem has been to make sure that the line, the transmission lines, can be paid for by the buyer of electricity. And at the moment, I mean, that's what's been holding everything up. Things are starting to accelerate as energy demand goes up, as the demand for clean energy goes up. Um, but I think, you know, the agreement between Singapore and Malaysia to import electricity, a very small amount at the moment, and again with Indonesia, these are signs of things to come, as well as the import of electricity from uh, Laos through Thailand to Malaysia and then to Singapore. But this isn't new wires, it's just an agreement to move electricity. What must be in place for Malaysia to export renewable energy to Singapore? I mean, they've got this pilot project, yeah, which is for a very small amount over an existing wire that is already there for sort of emergencies. Um, I think it's a matter of trust um, that, that, that as an importer, you've got to trust that the exporter will not suddenly step back on the contract. Uh, or, or raise the price unreasonably, et cetera, et cetera. And of course, we've seen that in Europe with the distrust of Russia with respect to natural gas. So this is always an issue. And then you need somebody to invest in the line. But I think that Singapore has a market for electricity. And if they can, the, the seller of electricity can sell into that market and if it's green electricity, if there's a good carbon price, then that should be covered. But I think trust is the main thing. And then investment is needed. Somebody needs to build the wire to put the money in, knowing that they're going to get their money back in a reasonable amount of time. And then there are a number of uh, what I call technical issues, harmonizing standards uh, along this wire between different countries. One of the issues and which has slowed down all of this working together in ASEAN is the power of the incumbent utilities in each country and the governments that want everything within their country and don't want to rely on other countries. They don't want to sell and they, or they don't want to buy. So there's a sort of political element in there as well. Do you think this climate action, this call for greater use of renewable energy, is that strong enough to galvanise governments in ASEAN to work together? I think so. I mean, you know, most countries are now developing plans. Uh, Malaysia, for example, your country has, has set ambitious goals. I don't know, but I'm not sure that it can achieve those goals purely with domestic electricity. So it would probably have to import hydroelectricity from Laos, and certainly Singapore will need to import. So, so yes, I think slowly, slowly, it will, it will start to move the dial. Yes. In this whole ASEAN power grid, is really Singapore that really is pushing hard for this? Is that reasonable to say that? I don't think so. I think Laos wants it because they want to sell. 
so it's something that the buyers and the sellers are interested in. But again, I think we need to take this one step further. I mean, one thing is to build a grid. The other is to develop a market mechanism. Yeah, uh, really a, a regional integrated electricity market so that electricity can move easily because you can have a, a line as Singapore and Malaysia have had for years, but not much electricity moves. And yes, you can have bilateral power purchase agreements, but again, that's a bit limiting. So ideally, you want a market so that it can be trading between utilities initially, just between the major utilities to move electricity around with a market with, say, a day ahead basis so that as soon as somebody wants something over there, they can buy it from over here and it could move from Laos to maybe through Thailand, Malaysia, Singapore to Sumatra if necessary. So though that's one step further along, and that is certainly also on the agenda of the relevant ASEAN bodies. Now, there were talks about building a huge undersea cable for Australia to export renewable energy to ASEAN. The big uh, elephant in the room that, uh, that people are talking about is the idea of, of a major undersea cable from Australia. Uh, where they could build vast solar power plants that could come into Southeast Asia, into Singapore, and then be distributed around Southeast Asia. So that's a project that is under development at the moment and, and may be operational in a few years' time. In, in, in principle, in Australia, Northern Australia, it's very sunny. Uh, you can build huge uh, solar farms that you just can't build in Southeast Asia. And therefore, if they get the scale uh, and they build a big Y, if everything's big, then in principle, it could be uh, commercially viable. And that's exactly what they're assessing today. What lessons can we learn from the Nordic region when it comes to all this uh, regional kind of connectivity? Well, I think, I mean, one difference is that the Nordic culture between the, the, the Nordic countries is a bit more common and shared the political culture and the social culture than it is in Southeast Asia. You've got quite different levels of economic development, of political system, of social and cultural background. Uh, so you've got one disadvantage. I think what's interesting about the Nordic developments of the power market is they started very simply by not having fully developed competitive markets in each country, but just as it were selling at the border between utilities. Okay, Because for several years, people have been saying in Southeast Asia and elsewhere in the world, you need national competitive markets before you can have a regional one. Well, the Nordics showed that's not the case. You can have trading between the utilities where there's a need, and where there's an agreement. And this has actually been demonstrated in Southern Africa. So you've got the Southern African power pool, which is just as diverse as, as, as Southeast Asia, and they trade with one another, as it were, between utilities. Um, and so I think that's, that's the lesson. It can be done. And, you know, you start small with respect to the market. Incentives grow to build more wires rather than just build more generating capacity. So, yes, there's a lot to learn from the Nordics but obviously then have to be adapted to the Southeast Asian situation. In five years' time, uh, what do you think can be achieved with this ASEAN power grid? 
I think in five years' time, if I'm if I look from where I sit at the moment, I would hope that a bigger wire is being built between Singapore and Malaysia uh, to allow more energy to come through there. That there is a decent-sized wire between uh, Indonesia and Singapore. So, so seeing looking purely locally, I see more wires being built down here. Uh, I think there's no reason why links with Myanmar shouldn't develop. Obviously, linking up to the Philippines is is a will need an undersea cable there. So I think, you know, slowly, slowly. Uh, but I think the next five years should see. I think it's not so much lots of new wires, but wires filling in critical gaps that really starts to link most of ASEAN to be close to that in five years' time. I hope. When could we see a decisive shift to using more renewable energy like solar? Whether one day, I think with storage systems, energy storage systems and hydrogen, green hydrogen, one can imagine a time uh, in decades ahead where most energy is of renewables. But, you know, that's a long way out. And that wraps up our coverage on renewable energy with a focus on the solar industry. Follow ASEAN Speaks on Spotify and Apple Podcasts for discussions about markets and sustainability. I'm Noel Lim at Maybank Investment Banking Group.